Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Uh, I think this is a weird week. I think this was an unusual, let me just say this. I think it was unusually weird. Unusually weird in light of the era that we're living in. And I just want to take a, just a second. I won't go long. I want to just talk about this. I know there are some of you who wish that I was far more political. And I know that because, because you tell me that. You wish I was more political. And I just want you to know this, church, I pray about this. And I pray as the pastor of the church, what is my response supposed to be? And uh, I believe very clearly that God has spoken to me on that. And so you may agree with it. You may not. That, that's all right. I'm, I'm going to answer to God ultimately. But I do want to say this to you. Uh, number one, first and foremost, as followers of Jesus, your allegiance is to Christ. That is your allegiance. And if there's something else that you hold allegiance to, just know this, that if those two things ever conflict, there's no choice. Our allegiance is to God. Now, you can see things in the culture that you're, that you're disappointed in, that you're angry about. Our allegiance is to God, okay? So let me just tell you this, in light of all that, you need to understand this as the body of Christ. Words are almost never neutral. Words are almost never neutral. I don't care if you write it. I don't care if you text it. I don't care if you email it. I don't care if you speak it. I don't care if you post it. Words are almost never neutral, Words give life and they bring death. Words can encourage and they can discourage. They can build up or they can tear down. And we got to think about that when we're throwing words out there. Okay, now here's what I know. I know sometimes you post things and you write things because you needed to vent. And that's appropriate. So let me just give you a couple things to think about. Just a hot little tip for, for followers of Jesus this morning. What you should be doing in those cases is you should be writing what Abraham Lincoln called hot letters. And it's really interesting because after President Lincoln died, uh, they found stacks of these letters. And you know that he had his critics. And he would just go to pen, man, and he would just write and just write. And he just wrote some blistering things and they found them. But he never signed them and he never sent them. Now, this is going to shock some of you, but there are some... There are some hot letters in the scriptures. Now listen to this hot letter that was written in the scriptures. Written to a critic. Let his years be few. Like, don't let him live very long. This hot letter is what we call Psalm 109. Let someone else take his position. Like, like let somebody overthrow him. May his children become fatherless. Now we got the kids involved and his wife a widow. Oh, no, you didn't. You just got the mom involved. That was King David. King David wrote that hot letter and never sent it to Saul. He just had to vent. And so let me just say this. Followers of Jesus. Be followers of Jesus. Be followers of Jesus, first and foremost, above all else, above your favorite cause, above your disgust, be a follower of Jesus first. All right? Have a nice day, everyone. Okay, so, 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 uh, so we're starting this new series, 
And so I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. You're going to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 25. And we'll start there this morning and uh, we'll work our way through this. Matthew chapter 25. And if you're on a digital version, and by the way, uh, let me just back up a second and say good morning and welcome to everybody. And if you're a first timer or a second timer, I'm usually angrier than this. I'm usually more angry, more but if you're a first time or second time, or we're thrilled you're here and you may have been a long time church attender and, and, uh, but, but you kind of haven't been going and you settled in a new place or maybe, um, uh, maybe you don't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you say, hey, I used to call myself a Christian. I don't really call myself a Christian anymore. We're just happy you're here. I, I, my prayer is always that you would encounter God in some meaningful way and that you'd come back. And online viewers, I'd say the same thing. The only, the, the only thing that I would add to an online viewer uh, is if you're able to attend in person, Man, I, I just, a lot of you are getting this now. There's nothing like being in the room. There's just nothing like being in the room. So, man, you're always, you're always welcome. It's an open invite. Matthew chapter 25. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking at a digital version, you want to be in the New Living Translation. That's the copy that we use. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we read. And again, just a reminder, if, if you're new here, we always stand during our primary text because we don't believe these are words of men. We believe that these are words of the Holy Spirit, that God, the words of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so this is just our little way to, to demonstrate that. I'm starting in verse 14. It says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities he then left on his trip, verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money, verse 19. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for uh, the fact that your word gives wisdom, it gives life, it gives truth, and it is your word. It is divine, and we receive it as that this morning. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would give us all understanding, that you would speak directly to us each as individuals, as you know that we have need. Would you speak to us? And God, I'm praying that by the end, you've done that in a way which just does one thing, and that is draw us to you, draw us closer to you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, some of you will know this, and, and you would know this, but maybe you just haven't thought about this. There is cultural thought, okay, and there is biblical thought. Now, as people of God, we're often called people of the word. We say the scriptures, these are our guide for life. And so we're people of the word. And so when it comes to, to cultural thought and biblical thought, uh-uh, we go with biblical thought. Now, in years past, there have always been different cultural beliefs. Did you know this, that almost every ancient culture has a written account of a massive flood? Did you know that? In the ancient Near East, all the peoples have recorded, hey, there was some historical flood that went on here. And the prevalent thought in the ancient world was that God or the gods, as they might have said, are very petty and very angry in general. And so most people of that era in the ancient world believed that the reason for the flood was that somehow man came to be, that God created man, they believed, and then man began to populate. And as man begins to populate, there are more people walking around and they're just talking. And God or the gods just got irritated with people because of all the noise and God couldn't rest and relax. And so he just wiped them all out. That was the, the thought in the ancient world. 
that this God was so petty and so angry and just, oh, this guy. Watch, here's biblical thought. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, I'll give Jerusalem, he's speaking to the Jews, a river of peace and a river of prosperity. The wealth of the nations will flow to her. Now listen, her children will be nursed at her breast, carried in her arms and held on her lap. And the prophet goes on to say, I'll comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. It's an angry, bitter, petty God. No, there's, there's cultural thought and there's biblical thought. Let me give you another cultural thought. For years and years and years, a cultural thought is that some people, certain people, because of their ethnicity, because of their race, because of their station in life, because of their whatever, are far more valuable and far more important than other people. That is not a biblical thought. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. And Paul says to the church in Galatia, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You're all one. You're all one in Christ. You're all one, right? There's cultural thought and there's biblical thought. Now the current, I believe, a very current cultural thought is this. I work for it, therefore it's mine. Similarly, I've earned it, therefore it's mine. Similarly, I bought it, therefore it's mine. And lastly, hey, it's mine, therefore it's mine. Like that's just how we think today. It's mine. What's mine is mine. And that is a cultural thought. That is very prevalent cultural thought. Let me give you biblical, scriptural thought on this. The scriptural thought is this. The heavens are yours, O God, and the earth is yours, God. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. That's from the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would say it this way. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The biblical thought is this. Everything belongs to God. We're not owners. You don't own it. It ain't yours. I don't care if you earned it. I don't care if you bought it. I don't care if it's yours. It ain't yours. It, everything, everything, everything belongs to God. And in this series, the way we'll say it is this. Every little thing belongs to God. Every little thing belongs to God. Now, uh, I, I want to look at, at just a few things because if that's the case, if everything indeed belongs to God, what is our relationship to it? See, now this morning, we're going to do this for three weeks. We're going to talk about this. And this morning, in particular, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about money. Now, Christians are all weird to me, and maybe it's not as good. Everybody just, as soon as I say money, everybody's like, turn, if you brought a visitor right now, turn to your visitor and go ahead, apologize. I, I'm sorry I brought you this week. You can go ahead and say that to them. If you're online, I'll apologize to you if this is your first time for tuning in. But here's the deal, and I want you to get this. This ain't about money. Everybody listen to me. This ain't about money. So you can go home and you can grumble. The church just wants our money. You can say that. <laughs> That's all right. This ain't about money. Listen to what the scripture says. Where your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. See, now we think it really works the other way around. We say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. As if, man, I'm into cars. I'm really into cars. I just love cars. So you know what I do? That's where my heart is. That's where my treasure goes, right? Now, it's actually the other way around. It's the other way around. Where you start putting all your treasure in, whatever you, wherever you put your treasure, guess what? Your heart will go there. You understand what I'm saying? So when we talk about money, this isn't about money. This ends up being about where your heart is. Look at the crazy things that people have done because of money. It's just driven them to crazy places. Right? And so we're going to answer a couple questions this morning. The first one would simply be this. Look, if God owns every little thing, then what's my role? If it's not mine, what's my role? What am I doing with it? 
I, I don't get what, it's not mine. What's my role? Look at your, if you still have your Bibles open, you're going to want to keep them open. You're going to circle and write notes and underline. Look at our passage again. Now this is Matthew 20, uh, 25 and it started in verse 14 again. And so listen, you, you do understand this about the scripture. We, we pull out chunks and we just look at that chunk. Do you know this? That the original Bible, I think a lot of you know this, was written without chapter and verse. There were no chapters and verses. Did you know chapters weren't added until about the 13th century? Verses weren't, then, weren't added then until about the 16th century. And so you got to remember that when you read this, that, that editors have come along and they've helped us. Because if I said, you know, what's John, John four, chapter 14, verse whatever say? You're like, oh, I don't know, let me just start and see where I catch up to that. No, we, just, we can say it. It's very handy for us. But just understand that when it's written, it, it was written as, as almost more dialogue. Okay, so when it says again, again, what do you mean again? If you look at Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25, in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples were getting a little nervous and they said, Jesus, when is the end going to be? When is the end going to be? He starts to talk to them about the end of days, about the last days. Jesus is talking to them about that. And then in chapter 25, he starts to talk about the kingdom of heaven. When he returns to the earth, he talks to them about what that's going to look like in verses about 1 through 13. And then in verse 14, he says again, right, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He's telling a parable here. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. It's a parable. It's not a true story. He's trying to make a point. Now, spoiler alert, everybody. The man that he's referring to here is Christ. That's the man in the parable, Christ, right? And he says he calls together his servants. That's us. That's followers of Jesus. And one of the key words here that he says is, he entrusted. He entrusted them. That means this, this is mine. I own it. I'm letting you look after it for a little while. Understand? See? He's saying, I'm entrusting you with this money. And then he goes on and he says, uh, I want you to understand this principle, that God owns and we manage. See, we've been entrusted. God is the owner. We're managers. God owns everything. What's your relationship? Your relationship is you are a manager. You're not an owner. Understand the difference. And it's important that we get this right from the very get-go. We got to understand that, that the stuff we have is not ours. Now, just to be very clear, our parable is going to go on to talk about bags of silver. The older translations call it a talent. What it really is is a resource. And so what we're talking about this morning, we're applying it to money. It could be about anything. But if our relationship is that we're managers of it, then that brings up another question. And the second question becomes this. Well, if I'm just a manager, why do I really care? In other words, if it's really not my money, why do I really care what happens to it? I'm just a manager. Right. Watch our passage go on. And he says this. He, this, this man, he gave five bags of silver to one person, two bags of silver to another servant, and one bag of silver to the last Dividing it in proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. Now, here's what you need to know. He's divided in proportion to your abilities. Sometimes I ask myself, why didn't God make me to be Bill Gates with all that money? And the reason is, most of you know, God would say, Neil, because you're a knucklehead. That's not going to be good for you. I'd be a train wreck if I had all that money. I mean, I, I, I just really, I believe that. Would I like to have it? Yeah, but God gave it to me in proportion to my abilities. God gives talents to people in proportion to their abilities. He gives all kinds of resources in proportion to their abilities. And so just be very clear about that. Now, the, 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 the servants are going to do what they want with that money. 
right? But then it goes on to say this in verse 19. It says, and after a long time, their master returned from his trip. You understand this? I've given you this, whatever it is, and I want you to watch over it. But the master is returning. He's coming back. And the question is, why is he coming back? Very important. He calls them to give an account of how they had used his money. The master entrusts them with his stuff. He leaves. He entrusted them. They're managers. He leaves. He's coming back and and having them give account. And I want you to understand this. you got to get this point. You and I are going to give account. If I don't tell you about this, if I don't warn you about this, I'm negligent in my job. You need to understand this. You absolutely will give account someday. And that's why this stuff matters. And that's why it's important that we pay attention to it. We get all caught up that it's money. Don't tell me to do with my money, you know, what to do with my money. And I'm just saying, well, you're going to be accountable. So we'll lay it out there for you. I'll lay it out there for you. And then you can do whatever you want. But know this, at the end of the day, you're going to give account. Now, two of the guys were really good with their money. The first two were really good with the money. The guy who got five bags, he went and invested it and he made another five. He was wise is what it's saying to us. He was wise with the resources God gave him and he made an additional five. The guy who received the two bags of silver, he received, he he was wise with it and he made another two bags of silver. They were wise with their resources, wise with what God had entrusted them. And the the response of of the man when he came back was he said this, he was full of praise. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Now, well done, great job. I'm proud of you. You did well. You're a person of wisdom. Wait, there's more. Get a load of this one. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. I'll give you even more. You know why? Because you were wise with it. Because you were smart with it. You handled it appropriately. Whatever that was. Today we're talking about money. He's saying, look, I'm going to give you even more. And then he says this. Let's celebrate. Like, let's celebrate together. Let's celebrate together. Now, on the other hand, there's still one servant left. And it says the servant with the one bag, he had the one bag and he came and he says to the master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. You know what this says to me? These are people who don't know God. These are people who don't know God. I knew you're harsh. I knew you're the bitter, angry God. I knew you're just angry. I knew you're looking for a chance to whoop up on folks. That's what I know about you. I'm, you're looking for a chance to just zap people with a lightning bolt. That isn't consistent with the scripture. Look what Luke says. In the gospel of Luke, Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock. Listen to this. If you ever think about this, it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. It pleases God. God wants to give. We just, oh, God's angry and he's harsh. That, that to me is people who don't know God. Right? And so he, he goes on and he says this. This is what he says to that person. To those who use well what they are given, whatever that is, whatever resource, when you use it well, even more will be given. And those people will have an abundance. When we use the resources that God has given us wisely, doesn't matter whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's talents. When you use them wisely, he says, you can handle it. I'll give you even more. On the other hand, he says, but from those who do nothing, even what little they have, will be taken away. Now watch this, buckle up, because it's going to get a little harsh in here. This is what he says to the guy. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. That's why you need to know this. You're going to be held accountable. Someday you will give account for the resources that God has placed in your hands. You don't own them. You're a manager. But you've got to wise up and know he's coming back and he, you will answer for these things. Why do we care? Because we're going to give an account someday. And so then I think it begs the question from a very practical perspective of this. What does good management actually look like? What would it look like to manage this resource well? What does it look like to manage money well? And again, I'm explaining this to you because this is not a a money issue. This is a heart issue, right? And so we need to be wise people. So I want to give you some B's and I just want you to heads up and jot a few things down as you need. Jeff, you just got five of them. Here's the first one. Learn to be content. Learn to be content. You know, you know the, 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 the principle that's at work here, and I think this is so powerful, is that the enemy of contentment is comparison. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. You all know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You're feeling good about yourself, feeling good about life in general, feeling good about the direction, and then you turn the TV on. Now your life is miserable. You're feeling good about yourself, feeling good about where you were going. You got on social media. Now you feel miserable. I mean, we all know this. We all understand. I'm just going to say it out loud again. People only put on social media their highlight reel. I mean, you don't see, you'll see Kimmy and I like when we're smiling and we're, hey, all W-I. You don't see it when we get into it. You, you don't see that. Nobody posts that stuff. If they've posted it on social media, they wanted you to see it. Even if it was something that was weird or awkward about them, whatever, they wanted you to see that. They don't post what's really negative comparison is so detrimental. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. He says, not that I was ever in need. I think this is really interesting. The Apostle Paul doesn't think that he was ever in need. Isn't that a weird thought to you? He he thinks he was never in need. The reason is because I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. He goes on and he says, I know how to live on almost nothing and I know how to live with almost everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. Now, he's going to continue, and this is the most misquoted, you know, misused verse in all the Bible. He says, because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. In the context of learning to be content. That's what he's talking about. We, we throw down anything. I could be an NFL quarterback. You know why? Because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And we claim that and it's our life first. He's talking about being content here. I'm just telling you, man, when we start to compare, game over. Number one, learn to be content. Here's another one. Be a tither. Be a tither. Now, some people, as soon as we start talking about tithing, tithing uh, was brought up in the Old Testament. And listen, this was a hard lesson for me. We oftentimes do this and we go, well, that's the old, you know, those of you who grew up in the church, you know how to make all the arguments. So that was under the law. That's under the Old Testament. My simple answer to this is, so was thou shalt not murder. Are we now good with that? So was thou shalt not commit adultery. Are we all of a sudden good with that? Because that's under the law. No, tithing literally means 10%. That's what it means. Now, this comes with a powerful warning And it comes with a powerful blessing. Watch this. This is from the prophet Malachi, God speaking. Should people cheat God? Yes or no? Well, how would we do that? He says, you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? How did we cheat God? Here's how you've cheated me. You've cheated me of the tithes and the offering that are due to me. You're under a curse now for your whole nation has been cheating me. Now watch, he continues. 
bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Today we'd say the storehouse is the church. That's the church. That's where your tithe goes. Is that self-serving? I don't care. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just opening the Bible to you. Bring them into the church so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, if you do that, if you'll tithe, if you'll bring that into the church, if you'll do that. Now watch this. Get, get a load of the promise. If you'll do that, says God, I'll open up the heavens, the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great, so great you won't even be able to take it in. What, would that, what, what must that look like? A blessing so great you won't even be able to take it in. And then I love this because this is just like, you know, he's going to finish you with this. Try it. Go ahead. Put me to the test. Try me. See if I won't. See if I won't bless you. Now the challenge for us becomes in the Western civilizations is that we think blessing equals money. And I just say this, man, how would you like to be blessed with just a rich marriage? How would you like to be blessed with kids who are just doing well and you have great relationships? How, how many of you like to be blessed with just health? Amen. Those are all blessings. Those are all blessings. And he's saying this, if you'll bring your tithes in, I'll bless you so great you won't even be able to take it in. And I want you to try me out. I want you to test me in this. So number one, learn to be content. Number two, I think you need to be a tither. And by the way, in the, in the original language, there are no fithers or toothers. You understand that? That those don't exist. Now, if you say, I don't tithe, I don't know if I can all of a sudden get to 10%. Okay, start where you need to start. But I'm telling you, God says for the tithers, I'll bless you beyond what you, what you can even imagine. Right? It's a tithe. It's literally 10%. And, and I always tell this story. Uh, first, first allowance I got was as a six-year-old. So we all got allowances the same year. Right? Six, and then my brother, seven, and my sister, eight. Three kids. Three kids, and we got in our allowance, we got a buck a week. Now, to some of you, a buck a week doesn't sound like much, but if you do the math, it's almost four bucks a month. <laughs> anyway, be a tither. But I'll just tell you this. From the very beginning, when my father gave us that, he said, here's the deal. You've got to take the first time, and it goes in your Sunday school basket. That's the rule. Now, if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to put in the Sunday school basket, if you don't want to tithe, you don't have to. You just don't get an allowance. Got it. Got how that one works. You know, for the rest of my life, I don't say this to boast. I'm just saying it's one of those things God has done to me. For the rest of my life, I've been a tither. I've been a tither. We always had paper routes as kids growing up. Guess what we did? We tithed. Got my first real job at 13. I was washing dishes at a restaurant. I tithed. When I had, I tithed. I'm just telling you, Kim and I, I don't say to boast. We tithe. We tithe. And God has blessed us ridiculously. Now, people always say, well, do I, do I tithe on the gross or the net? And listen, first of all, are we seriously having this conversation? But secondly, I would just say this. Look, if you tithe on the net, guess who got your first fruits? The government. Oh, no. No, God gets my first fruit. I tithe on the gross. And further, I would ask you this. Do you want God to bless the net or the gross? God, you want God to bless the gross, you tithe on the gross. Okay? So number one, learn to be content. Number two, be a tither. Number three, though, I would say this. Beyond tithing, learn to be generous. We're going to talk about kingdom builders in about three weeks. That's an act of generosity. Kingdom builders is above and beyond your tithe. And again, it's not just with money, but learn to be generous. This is what the scripture is saying. Again, the writer of the Proverbs, I love this. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous, the generous will prosper. 
And those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Learn to be generous. Above and beyond a tie, the heart of generosity. Be content, right? We got to learn to be content. We be a tither, be generous. Here's number four, be a saver. Be a saver. Some of you ever think about saving? Have you ever thought about saving? Again, the writer of the Proverbs says this. Take a lesson from the ants. Just <laughs> We're going to take a lesson from the ants, everybody, this morning, you blazy bones. Learn from their ways and become nice. Now watch the way of the ants. This is how we become wise. That ants, even though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. What are they doing? They're saving because it's wise. Become a saver. We'll talk about some practical applications of that, but become a saver. And then the last thing I'm going to tell you is this. The last B is be disciplined. Be disciplined, be disciplined, be disciplined with your money. Now watch this. This is the writer of the Proverbs again. And he says this, the wise have wealth and luxury. But fools spend whatever they get. That's fools. Money comes in, money goes out. No plan, no nothing. Now, I want to give you some specific areas in, in, in terms of being disciplined. I want to talk to you about a few areas. Listen, some of you folks, you're struggling to feed your family and you have cable TV. Now, listen, I'm not talking to people who have the money. If you got money, you're making good money. If you're, if you're tithing, if you're acting in generosity, if you want to have cable TV, cable your brains out. I, it doesn't matter, right? But if you're struggling to feed your family and you're paying for cable and some of you say, well, I got to have cable because I got to get my internet. There are other ways to get internet and it's much cheaper. If you want cable and you can easily afford it, but if money's tough, why would you have cable? If money's tough, I'm sorry, but if you can't keep feed your kids, why are you feeding dogs? Dogs ain't free. You got to feed them. Like we have people that come to church and, and we're looking at budgets and they need some help, right? And they're spending all kinds of money on dog food every month. I, we're dog lovers. We love dogs. But we don't have dogs because we know we can't take care of them, right? We're never around. Some people, you can't afford them. Very simple. Some of you, it's with your coffee. You're struggling. You're struggling financially and you buy $12 coffees every morning, Right? Here's an idea. Make your coffee at home. It's just cheaper. Some of you, you got to have the new iPhone every single time they come out. I don't, iPhones now are $15,000. That's unbelievable to me. And every year you got to have a new iPhone. You can't feed your family and you got to have a brand new iPhone or whatever it is. That is the most ridiculous thing to me. I'm about a five-year-old Android. It's probably a flip phone. I don't even know. I don't care. Make calls, take calls, brother. That's all I need to do. If you can afford it, buy you a new iPhone every year. If you're struggling financially, hello, right? And I would say this is the same thing with cars. Some of you are struggling financially and you always got to have a new car. You always got to have a new, let me, let me give you a little tip. This is what we do at our house. And I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you what we do. We only pay cash for cars. We only pay cash. Now, my first car, I had a business and I would park my car outside of the business and I'm supposed to try to look successful. I found a car that I could buy for 3,500 bucks. It was a big old Buick. And I parked that thing out there and I paid for it. And I owned that car. Now, did I still make car payments? Yes, I did to myself. I make car payments to myself and I put that money away every month. So the next time, because I'm not paying interest, I have more money saved. And next time I got to buy a car that cost $8,000 
And you know how I paid for it? Like this. I'm going to count everyone out in front of that guy. Cash. It's amazing how nice a car you can drive if you're willing to buy a car that's at least three years old with a few miles on it. Because they just, they just depreciate. If you got the money, I have a friend who makes crazy amount of money, crazy amount of money, always drives a new S-Class Mercedes, right? What are they, about $25,000 times four, times four. And you know what? People at the church when I was growing up with him, would you say, that's just not right. He shouldn't be able to drive a car like that. I'm like, brother, he makes millions of dollars and he's a tither and he's crazy generous. If you want to drive an S-Class, drive your brains out. God bless you. That's none of our business. But if you're struggling financially, and that's why leases are crazy to me, because the lease is just for somebody who's always got to drive a new car. Buy a used car, hold on to it for a while. If you got money, spend it. That's your business. If you're struggling, that's different. And then the last one I'll tell you about is impulse buying. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about impulse buying. Uh, this is, this is I, I don't know if you're like me. I love Who's with me? Infomercials. Love, yes! I love infomercials and they keep making offers. It's just, right, the guy's gonna get you. You know, it's an infomercial. And so because of that, when I go to the state fair, I love the pitchmen at the state fair. And so we always walk through like the ag building and these, because there's guys at booths and they're, they're doing this thing and they're making their pitch and they're making their pitch, right? Well, you're not even gonna believe this. But right when we walk through, you, you know what you're talking, how I'm talking about. There was a guy making a pitch. And I said, oh, we got to see this. So we stand there. And I thought to myself, no, no lie. It's the coolest thing you've ever seen. It's this like plastic piece of Tupperware thing, right? And then the lid screws on. And it's like 6,000 blades that do this. It's the craziest thing. It's, it's, they call it the salsa maker, but I don't feel manly. So we call it the Cougar 6000 Turbo GTX. It's awesome. And I thought to myself... How, how am I, at the time, how am I 50 years old and I have survived without one of these things? Like, well, I don't know how we've made it, dear God. And so you can laugh and you can say, oh, you're a sucker for impulse. Maybe, or maybe this was the providence of God. Because right at the moment that we were there, number one, he cut the price. Am I lying? <laughs> and number two, if we buy now, we got a set of knives. Did we not? And so I bought it. I bought the Cougar 6000 Turbo GTX. Now I take it home and I pull it out of the box. I don't know how we've made it without that thing all those years. So I pull it out of the box and I wash it up and I wash it up. And I'm, now it's all clean. The Cougar is clean. And I say to myself, where are we going to put that? I got a perfect spot. So I go over into the cupboard. I'm a little taller. I don't always like to squat down. So I open it up. I'm going to stick it on the top shelf. Conk. Conk. Now how come it doesn't fit there? Oh, I already got one. What? I already had one. Here's this thing I thought, how could we live without it? You haven't been, brother. You got one and it's in the cupboard. And so I'm just telling you, impulse buyers, impulse buyers. You got to be smarter than that. All right, let me get you. Let me get you the big so what. Here's the big so what this morning. Ultimately, you need to know this. Managers account to owners for every little thing. You're managers. You are not owners. Don't give me this, I earned it, it's mine, it's not yours. You've been entrusted with it, you're a manager, okay? It's so important. So, so let me give you this. I want to give you the now what this morning. 
I want to give you the now, because we we've answered the question, so what? But now what do we do? All right, here's the now what this morning. We're going to investigate, identify, and implement. I want you to just hang with me for a second. This is what we're going to do. Investigate first, then we're going to identify, then finally we're going to implement. So here's my list. This is what I've got for you. I want you to, uh, look, look over this list. Look over this list, right? Okay, where are you struggling the most? Where are you struggling financially the most in this list? This is not about money. It's about, you know we're going to give accounts someday. Are you struggling with being content, being a tither? being? Je- I want you to right now, just, and if you're online, same thing, identify. What's my area? What's the di- most difficult? You got it? Okay, now I want to give you a suggestion for each one. Ready. Number one, if you're struggling with contentment, minimum 30 days, no social media for you. And if it were me, I would say this. If that was a struggle for me, I'd do no TV, no social media for 30 days. You need to get off that stuff. Because comparison is the enemy of contentment. You got to get off it. You got to break that. Are you struggling to be a tither? Is that what's hard for you? Right? Then here's my, here's my challenge for you. God says, try it and put it to the test. Put me to the test. So here's what I always say. You tithe for 90 days. You tithe for 90 days. It's 10%. You tithe for 90 days. If you're not quite there yet, you fix an amount and you give that for 90 days. And if at the end of 90 days, you say, you're the, you're the pitch man at the state fair and you suckered me and I've been scammed. You don't have to say a word. You call the church and you go, hey, I'm Bill. I've been scammed and I want my money back. We'll say right on. What's your last name, Bill? We'll cut you a check. You tithe for 90 days. If I'm a liar, if God's word isn't true, if you got scammed, we'll give you every penny back. No, you don't have to explain why. Just, just say, hey, I'm Bill and I got scammed. We'll give you all your money back. If you're struggling to be generous, that's gonna be a little harder, but you're gonna have to start looking. You gotta be a tither first. If you're not a tither, you ain't struggling with generosity. You start with tithing. Then you gotta look. You gotta look for generosity possibilities. You gotta start looking. Where could I be generous? And then act. If you're struggling to be a saver, here's what I'm going to tell you. You just say, man, I've never been able to save. Number one, you got to have a $1,000 emergency fund. You got to have this because you don't know when your car is going to break down. People who have an emergency fund rarely have emergencies. Okay? You got to have an emergency fund first. You got to work to get $1,000 set aside. After you, if you've already got that, say, I've already got that. Okay, now you need three to six months worth of living expenses set aside because you don't know when you could lose a job. We just don't know in this market, right? After that, if you say, well, I've already done that, then the next goal for you as a saver is this is the number you should have in your head. When it comes to retirement, just keep putting away. Here's your number, ready? 15%. You don't have to find the right stock. You don't have to find the right opportunity. You just keep putting it away, 15%. 15%, you're gonna retire fine. You're saving. And then the last one is discipline. And here's your rule for discipline. Ready? If you know that you're an impulse buyer, you got to have 24 hours and you got to have a dollar amount. In other words, if it costs more than $100 and I wasn't planning on buying it, I can't buy it yet. I got to wait 24 hours. Now, for some of you, your amount may be $50. For some of you, your amount is going to be $1,000 and higher. You just have the financial means. You say $1,000, that wouldn't be anything to me. Then that's not your number. Maybe your number is $5,000. And so if an item is $5,000, you really had not been planning on purchasing it. You don't just on a whim, you don't just buy it. Now, if you've been planning and you've thought about it and you thought it, you purchased it. You understand what I'm saying? But it's a 24-hour rule. 
You're out somewhere, you saw somewhere, you were at the state fair and the pitch man was awesome. Nope, I gotta go home. I gotta give it 24 hours. If they say, well, the deal is only good today. Just remember this, deals are like buses. If you miss one, another one comes along in 15 minutes. It's just the nature of life. It's the way it is. You can't be pressured into any financial decision. Why are we talking about this? Because every little thing actually belongs to God. Because you and I aren't owners. Because you and I are managers. And someday we'll give account for the way that we've handled our resources. This week we happen to be talking about money. And it's a big deal because we think our money is our money. But it belongs to him. Everything we have belongs to him. Stand to your feet. We'll pray. We'll be dismissed this morning. Very practical this morning. Very practical, but it's all so that we're better managers, better stewards of what God has given us. Father, this morning we say thank you because you're the giver of all things, because everything we have, God, has come from you, and we acknowledge that. We acknowledge that, Father. It all belongs to you. God, would you give us wisdom? Would you help us to be good stewards? Father, would we be pleasing to you? Would you find us trustworthy of more? God, don't let us be confused in thinking that, that, that blessing means money. Would you not let us think that, God? But Father, let your children be, be a pleasant aroma to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the worship that, that we've been allowed to participate in this morning. God, I pray that our worship this morning was pleasing to you, was pleasing to you. So now, Father, as we go, God, would you encourage us? Would we be a church? When we leave this building, would we be the church to a lost world that desperately needs a Savior? Empower your children by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.